Make the most out of your daily commute or next road trip in a new Audi from Audi Atlanta. And what better way to do it than behind the wheel of a stylish Audi A5 Sportback? Hey, it's Finn, along with my friends at Audi Atlanta, here to introduce this city to the Audi A5 Sportback. With a versatile and athletic design, the beauty lies within, combining the sleekness of a coupe with the practicality of a four-door hatchback. And right now, you can lease the Audi A5 Sportback for $537 per month. Find yours at AudiAtlanta.com. And use the Jim Ellis Expressway to start or complete your entire purchase online or shop in person on Petrie Boulevard just inside the perimeter. Experience the thrill of driving like never before at Audi Atlanta. Offer applies to a 36-month lease, 2024 Audi A5 Sportback 40, 537 per month, 10,000 miles per year with 4731 due at signing. Example stock number A25954 MSRP 49,905 excludes tax, tag, and title fees. Offer expires 531.24 with approved credit. Welcome in to episode one of Punt and the Poor Man. Drew Butler alongside my good buddy Ryan Skates, the founder, the publisher, the editor, the CEO, the chairman of the board of the Poor all Man's Game Notes. Welcome, Ryan. Things. Gosh, it's a it's a heavy burden to bear. Yes. And I'm glad that somebody's finally recognizing all the <laughs> all the hard work that goes into it. But uh, no, how how exciting is this? Yeah, it's great. The impetus for this podcast is one punt and pass. Now is about to go into its seventh season, Ryan. And Poor Man's Game Notes is in its twelfth twelfth edition. Fantastic. Welcome to the game. Yes, absolutely. Some would say newsletters are the new thing. You've been doing that for a long time. Others would say podcasts are still the new thing. But hey, been Here we doing are. this for Here a while. Are. Why punt? And the poor man. Well, everybody was always asking for some consistent content from Punt and Pass in years past. You obviously take a hiatus from Punt and the Poor Man as well when it's not football season. You and I have done some podcasts together in the past. They do strikingly well. People said, Drew Ryan, you guys should do an interview series. You came to me and said, let's do an interview series. I said, okay. You said, let's start a podcast. I go, well, instead of starting a podcast, let's do a series in the Punt and Pass umbrella. Thus, Punt and the Poor Man has begun is the convergence of the spoken word of punt and pass <laughs> and the written word of the poor man's game nuts. It's the word. Yes, the it word. is the word, okay? And it is the collaboration you never knew you needed but always wanted. Here we are. Oh, man, the intimacy here, the eye contact. I yes. have to stop. I'm making to stop. it it's uncomfortable. I'm making it uncomfortable. Our first guest is none other than Lauren Smith. And why Lauren Smith, right? Could we have gotten anybody else? Well, of course we could, but we had to start with Lauren because to know Lauren is to know the University of Georgia. And the punt and the poor man, to start, we'll have a little bit of a Georgia focus, but we're going to branch out. We've got a murderer's row of awesome guests who are going to come on. We'll have episodes for you all through the spring and summer. But Georgia is not what it is today without Lauren Smith. He is the Georgia Athletics historian. He's had a 50-plus year broadcasting career here at the university. He's an author. He's a writer. Ryan, he's had five books, or I think more, published by Augusta National Golf Club. He's, it's it's wild, all the things he's done. And so many of them, as he talks about in the interview, are things he just kind of thought he wanted to be a part of. Like, yeah. you know, he went to the Masters for the first time. He's like, i got to figure out a way to keep doing this. And now he's in the Masters you know, Media Hall of Fame. I'm, Butchering the actual title for that. I hope I don't get struck by lightning. <laughs> but, um, I mean, how great is that? I mean, and, and he is a Georgia 
institution. Yes. You know, he is something that if you know about Lauren Smith, you're a real one, right? So you you know what it means to to be a bulldog yeah. at least. Um where if you're just tuning into ESPN and you see the dogs playing, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily know about him. But um I mean he has a wealth of information about UGA. He's a true treasure. He is one of uh, a breed that we're seeing less of, yeah. sadly. Yeah. And uh it is pretty pretty heady stuff to get to share a, a room with him and ask him some questions. No doubt. We were very thankful for his time um, and talking about kind of the heady nature of us being in here before we taped. You and I were doing some prep, the little prep that we did. And there was a picture of, you, know, you could call it George's Mount Rushmore, albeit it was five people. And it was Larry Munson, Vince Dooley, Irk Russell, Dan McGill, and Lauren Smith. And Lauren's the only one left standing. Right. Um, he talked about his relationship with Coach Dooley. He talked about his relationship with Larry Munson, Dan McGill, who a lot of people around Georgia know the name of, but he kind of describes the person that he was. And he's got some phenomenal stories that we're going to get into in this interview. I like how I mean, my favorite thing that I that you brought up was the idea of him and Dan McGill sitting outside of what's now Five Points Bottle Shop holding court. And then he knew exactly what you were talking oh, yeah. about and was like, well— Coach McGill would drink three <laughs> Budweiser's, and I just drank one Miller Lights. Like, oh man, I want <laughs> who knows what was said to passersby outside of whatever restaurant that was at the time. But what a scene! Absolutely, we hope you enjoy this awesome interview with our first guest right here on Punt and the Poor Man. It is Lauren Smith. Please enjoy. Okay, folks, episode one of Punt and the Poor Man. We are here in Athens, Georgia, inside the Carmichael Sport Media Institute, Grady College of Journalism. And I am thrilled to introduce our first guest ever. It is none other than Lauren Smith, an absolute legend around Georgia and the University of Georgia Athletic Association. A Georgia athletics historian, a 50-plus year Georgia broadcaster, an author, a writer, all things Georgia Bulldogs. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today, sir? Great. Good to be with you guys, and thanks for inviting me. No doubt. So the impetus for this interview series is to kind of branch out past just game previews, game reviews, general talk around Georgia football and the SEC, and get to know the figures that make this great sport and this great institution what it is. So we figured, let's go ahead and start with Lauren. And I guess the first question would be, could you have ever imagined Georgia football reaching the sustained success that they are currently experiencing? We were just talking before we taped. Um, you were out in Los Angeles. Obviously, you were in Indianapolis last year, back-to-back national champions. It's quite a time to be a Georgia Bulldog. No question about it, Drew. I think the interesting thing about all this is that uh, I've become exposed to college football all across the country for a long period of time, principally the SEC, but uh, I've looked at other programs. Uh, I've gotten to know all of the great names, uh, and I'm making a point when I say this. Uh, in college football coaching, I knew Woody Hayes. I knew Bo Beckler, I knew Bud Wilkinson, Barry Switzer, Tom Osborne, and uh, 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 Bob Devaney. Wow. Uh, at Nebraska, uh, and just uh, John McKay at Southern Cal, and got to know those people by having just a, a slight exposure. But Enterprise got in there in the mix, and I looked these guys up. I never did work for them, but I uh, I 
listen to them lecture. They were lecturing at a coaching clinic. I sat in on the lectures. Mm-hmm. I had never drawn up a play in my life, and uh, uh, there's a lot about football I don't know. I'm not an X's and O's guy. But uh, as a kid, my friend Davey Pollock, you don't have to be an actor to be a theater critic. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Very true. So you don't have to have a... Uh, acting credential, you don't have to be a member of the guild. But I'm making a point to say that uh, football for so long was provincial, it was regional, now it's national. And uh, it didn't take me long in his first year to realize that Kirby Smart was special. And he is the reason we are now, in my opinion, for the first time in our history, fulfilling our potential and fulfilling on a, on a sustained basis. Yeah. So all the credit goes to Kirby, and I think he's the kind of guy that uh, won't let it ever turn his head because he knows it's uh, almost fatal to think you're you're pretty good in sport in any way, and that certainly, that certainly includes uh, coaching. Um, uh, but I... Every school thinks that it ought to be contending and ought to be great, but only such a few will ever attain that kind of success. I have a lot of old Miss friends, including Archie Manning. Yeah. They, they feel that they can be like they were in the vault years, but that might be a little hard Um and they should dominate the state because they are the state university, and that means they have the constituency that really is uh, passionate, not to take anything away from a Mississippi State or Mississippi Southern fan. But I don't think it will ever be at Ole Miss what it was. At, uh, or it's going to be tough yeah, to be yeah, at Ole Miss. Certainly. What was there when Johnny Vault coached. Now, that may not be the best analogy of Ole Miss's situation. I'm not taking the passion out of the mix. So somebody might come along and find a way to make it to what what it was in the vault years. I don't think that um, some schools who have ambition will ever make it. But uh, I was by to see Clay Helton at Georgia Southern recently. What a nice guy doing, yes, doing a terrific job. And uh, he sees the 12-team playoff as a plus for college football because he can see where in a given year Georgia Southern might get into a 12-team playoff. No question. No chance of them ever getting into a 14-team playoff. So I'm uh, sort of rambling, but I, I just feel like Georgia has always had more potential than it had uh, success and that's not uh, a knock on anybody uh, because winning, I don't care what level you're in or on, it's hard. To, it's, it's just hard to win, especially to win a championship. No doubt. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And I think one thing that was so hard for Georgia fans was that we saw that we had this amazing culture. We had the most loyal fans stick with Georgia through some dark days in the 90s and um and it was Georgia's culture was attractive, not only to Georgia fans, but to everybody across the SEC. And you were a huge part of that. And I want to say thank you for letting us call that ours. The The rapport you had with Larry Munson um, is a core memory I have, you know, riding in the car on a Saturday with my dad 
and hearing you guys go back and forth, we didn't we weren't Georgia fans, but we would not miss a Georgia radio broadcast to hear you and him go back and forth and talk about uh, about Georgia football, which at that time was kind of provincial. Um, but that's something that's so dear to so many Georgia fans. So I just want to say thank you for letting us have that. It's something that that we feel great pride in. And, uh, I mean, you've been such a huge part of what it means to be a Bulldog. Um, so I, I know that's not lost on you, but I feel like it would be remiss to not bring it up. Well, you're mighty nice. It was something that just happened. Uh, I don't know that uh, I could ever take credit for anything. I, I did have the passion, did have the interest, and I wanted to see Georgia do well. And I was influenced by the greatest dog ever, Dan McGill. Uh, he's legendary among those who are a little younger than you guys. Uh, Kevin's uh, Bruce dad yeah. knew about Dan McGill. But I, I think that uh, it, it just was uh, something that happened, and Munson was uh, unique. Uh, Larry, I've always described as being someone, he's like that center fielder who could run with the end, with the wind. He could hit for average and power and not really know why. <laughs> uh, Munson just had a gift for radio. He grew up in Minnesota. Uh, loving sports, and just got a saw an ad. Uh, uh, somebody was looking for a sports director, or maybe just an announcer, and he got a job, maybe in the Dakotas by just answering an ad. <clears throat> and then uh, he went to Wyoming, and Kurt Gowdy was uh, at Wyoming, and he told him, "Look, you're ever going to make it big, you got to go get a." minor league baseball job and work your way up because the big deal with announcers back then was to try to get a big league job in baseball. That was the ultimate. And uh, Gowdy, as you know, went on to uh, work with uh, the Yankees, work with Mel Allen, and then he got the Red Sox job, and that was his core uh, position. So it was it was wonderful, and uh, the timing was extraordinary in that uh, – Television hadn't really come about. Mm -hmm. Vin Scully was someone I got to know, which uh, was a delightful, fun experience. And uh, I've read about it and I've talked to people. When he went to L.A., when the Dodgers moved to L.A. in the 50s, uh, it was sort of the only game in town. Television wasn't really big on mm -hmm. the West Coast then. It might have been for something like Johnny Carson, although that was ahead of his time. I mean, he came to L.A. later, but uh, I heard people talk about uh, the Dodgers would be playing and it's Ben Scully is all you had. You didn't have yeah. uh, you didn't have uh, you didn't have Sports Center. Of course. You didn't have any of the television networks covering baseball in Southern California. So he was he was the only voice and uh, I've heard people talk about who lived out there uh, and lived in the nice, cozy neighborhoods, which there were a lot of those in Los Angeles and still are some places today. But you could walk down the street and you could hear Ben from house to house to house. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so Munson was a little bit that way. In 1980, when we won the national championship, Vince's national championship season, his national championship year, we didn't have we weren't on TV until. The eighth game, seventh South or eighth, Carolina. South Carolina. 
I've gotten now for wow. the seventh or eighth game. So Munson was it. And uh, I, I remember we beat Kentucky on Rex Robinson's kick. And then next uh, Monday, the Monday following, Bent spoke to the Atlanta Touchdown Club, and I drove him over. I don't know why I did. But uh, for some reason, I made the trip over, and I, and I volunteered to drive him. So I got stopped for speeding in, uh, <laughs> uh, in Conyers, and I got out of the car. In those days, you know, it was probably smart to get out of your car and greet the officer and tell him you <laughs> no good so-and-so. But anyway, this cop, I said, well, he said, what you in such a big hurry for? I said, well, we were late to get to the touchdown club meeting, and Coach Dooley, I'm driving him over. He's speaking today. He says, oh, boy, wasn't that a great game? says, that Munson something, isn't he? So uh, I always appreciate Munson getting me out of a speeding there ticket. Something that, that came through on your broadcasts with him, and you know, maybe I'm picking up on something that's not there, maybe I am, but you seemed to have a great friendship together I mean, and to the point where you might even get annoyed with each other in a high-stress part of the game. I remember there's one game where there's some it's a crucial third down or something, and Munson goes down to you, and you're like, what do you got, Lauren? And you're like, I'm here with Charles Grant, and he's just telling me how much he loves boiled peanuts. <laughs> and uh, and Munson, you can tell, is just disgusted. He's like, all right, you know, and he cuts you off. And that was just gold. And, you know, I would love to hear more about maybe the friendship behind that where y'all were comfortable enough kind of being curt with each other in front of all of us. Well, you know, uh, we never did really do anything uh, much beyond the games he had his family, and I had mine. He had uh, a full-time job with a radio station in Atlanta until he uh, got the job at WSB doing drive time. And so we never did spend any time together. We did fish uh, once or twice. So it wasn't the absence of a rapport. We just it didn't go beyond the games too much. And fishing with him, though, was quite an experience. You know, he talked in that same vernacular. He, he did a game on that north wind. <laughs> I don't like it driving those fish down six, seven, eight, nine, ten feet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's amazing. And uh, it was really great. And I wrote a column about that for the Atlanta Journal and talking about him and how he appreciated his uh, memories of his daddy who took him fishing. So he loved to fish. He loved to hunt. Uh, but then when he got to Atlanta, you know, he first came with the Braves, and that didn't last uh, forever. Then he went back to Nashville, and he was working the 6 o'clock news as a newscaster. Uh, he yeah. might have done sports too. I don't remember and uh, so he was driving in and doing the games, come in Friday night, work the Georgia game, then drive home to Nashville after the game. And I once wrote that he met more state troopers than he did Georgia fans. <laughs> so <laughs> he, uh, he didn't really become entrenched with the Georgia people until he came back to Atlanta and started working with the Georgia uh, News Network, I think it well, it's a Georgia network, I believe, uh, put together by a guy named Officer Don. You remember him on the Kitty shows, cartoons? Show? Officer Don? Officer Don. No, I don't remember he that. He owned the network. Okay. Uh, state network. Well, the stations in White Cross, Valdosta, uh, you know, up north Dalton, they didn't have uh, any way of covering the state 
news, state capital legislatures in session. So he had the idea of providing uh, supplements. You know, he had somebody covered the capital, somebody covered sports. And Munson did everything. He did what news, weather, sports, came in early in the morning, made the coffee, swept out the stock room. He did it all. And uh, uh, so his his work ethic was remarkable. And then uh, it wasn't a high-paying job. So he'd finish in the afternoon, drive somewhere like Vidalia, take him two hours a half, three hours to get there, make a speech, then drive back home. Then he was up at 4.30 in the morning, 5. So Munson was a rare guy. A lot of people didn't know about that side of him. Yeah. And then he developed a great following that became so entrenched. Uh, and he developed that, that you know, that downcast uh, uh, routine. I've seen him, uh, somebody walk up to him in a hotel, we're checking in. Road game. Mm-hmm. Woke up and said, Larry, what about uh, <clears throat> whoever we play, Auburn? What about Tennessee? He said, Oh, God, do you seen their tackles? Biggest tackles. They're bigger than those guys in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> so he'd go into a, a we ain't got a tense routine right yeah. there in the hotel lobby. It's remarkable. You know, I watched you honor Coach Dooley last year at the Jimmy Rain Foundation ceremony in Montgomery, Alabama, and uh, you brought up Larry a lot in that induction for Coach Dooley, and it almost seemed like you kind of played the mediator between Larry and Coach Dooley because, as you just said, uh, his pessimistic nature never was good enough, never was going to be a good game for the Georgia Bulldogs. What was their relationship like, Coach Dooley and Larry Munson, and and how did you play in the middle of that? (laughs) I don't really... I think I had a role of any kind, but the, uh, I do remember Vince saying that Larry made him look like an optimist, so uh, uh, that was uh, fairly true. Uh, uh, I think Larry just it became his shtick, we say. Yeah. Uh, so he stuck to it, and people sort of enjoyed it. And uh, But he and Vince, I think they fished a time or two. Did they? And uh, they had... Uh, you know, when you're in football full-time, really into it as a coach mm-hmm. and, and and as an announcer as Larry was, you don't really have time to uh, socialize all that much. Uh, you get into a routine, and then in the off-season, though, there was a little, little time to do things. And Vince appreciated Larry because the Georgia fans appreciated him so much. I can remember... That Vince uh, uh, got really upset when Larry uh, was unable to do the Sugar Bowl. You know, in 1980, when we won the national championship, Georgia broadcast crew could not. Is that right? We couldn't do the Sugar Bowl. I did not know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Well, the reason we couldn't was that uh, ABC uh, had the network rights, and so they had their broadcast. Mm-hmm. They had Keith Jackson did TV, I forgotten who did radio. But there was a moratorium against and so Vince and I both went to work and he had a little bit more of a heavyweight opportunity to and we finally went to the bowl and said, Look, just tell ABC you wanna let the the two visiting the two competing teams let the, at least let them bring their announcer and do the games. Yeah. The, the idea by the uh, uh, and, and I tell you how bad it was. Is WRFC was the uh, uh, Georgia station forever and ever and ever. We played uh, 
in the Sugar Bowl. There's a station here in town. I've forgotten who the ABC affiliate was. It wasn't WGAU. They were CBS, but uh, they did the game. Here's WRC. They had the Bulldogs all year, and now they can't do the bowl game. Wow. It was sort of uh, messy there for a while, but Vince went to bat, and he had a great influence. And finally, the bowls did agree that the two home team, the the two competing teams announced crew could do the game. But Munson didn't do the bowl in 1980. Didn't even go to New Orleans, as I recall. I want to get your next question, but I have a trivia question for both of you. Obviously, Munson's most famous call was Run, Lindsey, Run, right? 1980, Georgia versus Florida. Do you know who did the TV call of that game? The broadcaster? Al Michaels. Yes, sir. Al Michaels. Nobody's ever heard Al Michaels call Run, Lindsey, Run, (laughs) but it's remarkable because that's how impactful Larry Munson was. I mean, what what did Al Michaels say there? He was probably like, oh, there goes the Georgia (laughs) receiver. That's a touchdown for Georgia. Absolutely. Looks like Georgia's going to (laughs) win. Uh, Not a lot of passion there from Al, but uh, (laughs) no question. Great answer. I knew Lauren would have the answer to that one. (laughs) This is going to be kind of a wonky question, but you have kind of gotten to sports media rights there as you were talking about, you know, we couldn't bring our own, or Georgia couldn't bring their own radio team to the Sugar Bowl at that time. And you were around during the time that there was uh, the University of Georgia and Oklahoma sued the NCAA to be able to sell their own media rights. Do you, what, what do you remember from that time? Were you involved with, you know, any of the strategy or thinking behind that? Obviously it was a UJ law professor. I forget his name who was a lawyer on that, but that's one of the first cases. Dean of the law school. And he talked Fred Davison into uh, challenging the NCAA I didn't have anything to do with it. Naturally, I wasn't high enough in the administration. I might have had an opinion if somebody wanted it, but they were going to go with Vince and what his opinion was. It was um, it sort of broke it open, and I guess that was good. But now some people didn't like two things. They didn't like upsetting the apple cart. Uh, the other was they didn't understand why Georgia got in bed with Oklahoma. Uh, they could have chosen another partner. That was criticism in some circles in the SEC. I remember Fred Russell, the grand old sports columnist for the National Banner, asked me, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> so uh, I, I think that uh, it probably turned out to be good because it brought us to where we are today. I mean, if you want to watch football starting at, daybreak in the fall now you can and he goes to midnight and so everybody's team is playing and it's just enhanced i think uh uh, college football and people uh find a way to see their team every saturday somehow or other i think if you're a georgia fan living in los angeles or seattle you're gonna be able to get the georgia game in some shape or form and now you can damn near get everything including basketball Volleyball, track. (laughs) So the proliferation of television has really helped the colleges. So Coach Dooley and University of Georgia were were at the crossroads of two of maybe the most influential things that have now brought us to where we are. So that would be one, the NCAA lawsuit that allowed schools to do their own media rights deals. And then the second would be the collegiate licensing company. And the, yeah. the idea to license your own intellectual property to be sold on um, and, and control who can buy your gear and things like that. Um, 
So coming from those two things, which seem almost quaint now to this world of transfer portals and NIL, I mean, is this the same game? Do you recognize the game today versus what it was when you first started at Georgia? Oh, no. When I came along, it was slow and lethargic. Now it's a greyhound uh, kind of game. Every athlete, uh, there's some remarkable athletes out there now. They can really perform, and I think it's great for them that we have what we do have. However, it's like having an undisciplined uh, student in your class, and don't let him ruin the whole class. Uh I think that there should be some sort of uh, controls on where we are. Otherwise, we're going to ruin the game. Now, I haven't talked to uh, uh, Todd Monken, but I'll bet you when he lit out for Baltimore, he probably told his wife, Terry, I won't ever have to answer another question about NIL. <laughs> I, I know that yeah, went through I don't through doubt his that mind. at all. I don't <laughs> doubt that at all. You speak about the Greyhounds. Uh, and the elite athletes and just how much bigger and faster the game of college football is. Uh, I've got to ask you, you got a front row look at how big these athletes were a couple of years ago when you got knocked down in the indoor facility and you broke your hip. You were at age 80 and you're still hanging with us now today. I just, I just walked you up 15 flights of stairs. Um, how did that go down? You okay? You feeling good? How's, how's the hip feeling? I took the elevator. You took the stairs. I took the elevator up here. Well, uh, I I did okay. I didn't think anything about it. I, I didn't like the idea uh, that my leg being broken. But I'll tell you a little story about that. Um, I was back at work in f- four days. I know. And, uh, it didn't really bother me. I didn't have any pain. But now, I had hernia surgery back uh, this past summer, uh, summer of 2022. Yeah. And, God, I felt awful for three months. I mean, I, I, it was an outpatient thing. I had the surgery one morning, came home, spent the rest of the day in bed, but I got up the next day and began to try to make it business as usual, but it was hard. And then it just was irritating, and it just led to great frustration. And then I felt it robbed me of my efficiency of getting yeah. things done. But um, I had gone down to tell John Parker, a good friend, that we ought to uh, get a drink after practice, get a beer. And uh, I saw there's a little out route uh, was the play before the one got hit. I got hit, and uh, I said, John, we better move down here. So we moved some several yards down the field. But the next drill was a punt return, and so he's coming up. And uh, finally he ran into and hit John, knocked John into me, and then I hit the turf, and my leg was broken. My hip was broken. And Those damn punters. <laughs> they could never do it right. Hey, how about John Parker, though, breaking the fall? <laughs> yeah. John Parker breaking oh, the fall. Yeah. gave you a commemorative Coca-Cola bottle when that was over, <laughs> I'm sure. And then, John, uh, uh, the day of my surgery – I had me up walking, and I, I, I slept a little while. And John came into the hospital, and he snuck in a bottle of Camus. Okay, <laughs> now we're talking. And uh, so I had uh, a social hour 
There you go. I hadn't missed one since. <laughs> Good for you. Well, we're glad you're still here. He's Absolutely. Great uh, you, you mentioned Coach McGill a little bit earlier. I want you to give our audience a little bit of background of, of who Coach McGill was, how important he's been to the University of Georgia and still is to the University of Georgia. Um, and then in doing some research before this interview, I had some people tell me that you and Coach McGill used to frequent an establishment in Five Points and maybe hung outside until the wee hours of the night um, telling stories and, and making sure that everybody was okay in the streets of Athens. <laughs> well, it didn't last that long because uh, uh, he was – Middle A's then, you know, in his 50s and then the 60s, and uh, so he, he didn't last uh, that long. But we would say a couple hours, and uh, he drank three Budweiser's to my one, and I was drinking Miller Lite. He's drinking Budweiser, his favorite. And uh, he um, he just was a great raconteur, and he had time for people. And he had a marvelous memory and a marvelous exposure. And he was a multifaceted, multi-talented guy who really, truly loved Georgia in the greatest sense. I've never known anyone before, and I don't think there'll ever be anybody who truly loved Dan in a pure love relationship. Now, he believed that he could have been successful in business. He felt like he could write. Make the most out of your daily commute or next road trip in a new Audi from Audi Atlanta. And what better way to do it than behind the wheel of a stylish Audi A5 Sportback. Hey, it's Finn, along with my friends at Audi Atlanta, here to introduce this city to the Audi A5 Sportback. With a versatile and athletic design, the beauty lies within. Combining the sleekness of a coupe with the practicality of a four-door hatchback. And right now, you can lease the Audi A5 Sportback for $537 per month. Find yours at AudiAtlanta.com. And use the Jim Ellis Expressway to start or complete your entire purchase online. Or shop in person on Petrie Boulevard just inside the perimeter. Experience the thrill of driving like never before at Audi Atlanta. Offer applies to a 36-month lease, 2024 Audi A5 Sportback 40, 537 per month, 10,000 miles per year, with 4731 due at signing. Example stock number A25954, MSRP 49,905, excludes tax, tag, and title fees. Offer expires 531.24 with approved credit. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Sports on a national level, he felt like he could uh, uh, probably have gotten into politics. He certainly would have been a good speaker from the stump. Um, but he didn't want to do any of that. He wanted to be in Athens promoting the University of Georgia. So he wasn't restricted to tennis as number one sport. He became the winningest tennis coach in history. Later, his record was broken by the guy at Stanford, who was a good friend of his. So... Nobody loved Georgia more than Dan McGill, and I talked to former Lieutenant Governor Pierre Howard about him yesterday because Pierre and I talk occasionally, and every time we talk, we talk about how great Dan McGill was. Yeah. It just keeps on going because that's the way we truly feel, and that's why we, uh, why we appreciated him so much. He was a historian, and 
he promoted Georgia, all sports. He had been the prep editor of the Atlanta Journal back in the days when that was uh, big. Preps were so big. Created the high school all-star game. Just was a marvelous uh, individual. And his motivation was to promote Georgia. So he promote anybody, somebody. Oh, I guess there's a guy who's, who's singing in Carnegie, Carnegie Hall. And Dan knew about that. Dan used to take the train to New York and go out to Flushing Meadow where the U.S. Tennis Championships were held at that mm-hmm. time. Uh, he went to see, uh, being an Irishman, he was a big fan of uh, Billy Kahn, who was a lightweight, but he almost beat Joe Lewis, a heavyweight, wow. and had him beat on points. And Dan saw the fight, and he could imitate Billy Kahn, you know, the Irishman's <laughs> jabs. And uh, the reason he didn't win is he tried to knock Joe Lewis out, and then Joe Lewis hit him with a jawbreaker and knocked him out. So uh, Dan just uh, had a great love for sports and just a great love for uh, people, and, and he was a great humorist. Uh, talking about range of sports and, and being involved with a lot of different sports, I had a cool opportunity to tour the media center at Augusta National, which is unbelievable. Yeah. And they have like a wall of fame, you know, with names written in gold lettering. And right up there at the top is Lauren Smith. And I understand, you know, you've been to what, 40 in a row open championships and you've been covering Masters for a long time and even have have contributed to the annuals that they write about each tournament at the end of the year. So could you tell us about how you got involved writing about golf and, and that whole that Well, whole you know, scene? geography can do a lot for a country boy. <laughs> uh, if I had been born in Arkansas, I'd have never been able to drive down to Augusta in two hours. And also I think about the fact that I didn't do it for years, but now I get a little bit uh, frustrated if I don't go to baseball spring training, well, that's five hours away. So geography has opened a lot of doors for me. But I went over to see the 1960 Masters when Arnold Palmer won his second Masters by birdieing the 17th and the 18th Mm -hmm. holes. And my friend Kerry Williamson, who owns the the Greensboro Journal-Herald, had two tickets. And... He took me on Sunday, and we stood right behind the 18th green, and I watched Arnold Palmer come up, and I thought this was the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life, and it's only two hours from that farm where I grew up, and I didn't know anything about it. Quite frankly, golf was elite. Uh, It wasn't as elite as uh, some people made it out to be, but uh, if you grow up in austere circumstances, and that was the way it was for so many kids across the state of Georgia, you couldn't own clubs, let alone going to a country club. That was unthinkable. So I, you know, I know when I joined the Athens Country Club, I thought about uh, the austere life that I enjoyed uh, in middle Georgia on a farm, and I sort of sat down and uh, had a few tears. You know, I, here I am, a member of the Athens Country Club. I thought that was the one of the greatest milestones of my life. But uh, after going over with uh, Carrie, I decided, well, this is pretty good. I'm going to 
make a habit of this if I can. So I set about getting a press credential for the Athens Banner Hero. And I wrote, and I got accredited right off the bat, and it wasn't that, that difficult back then. It wasn't the demands of today. And uh, I went over and covered the uh, Masters by uh, writing my columns after the round was completed, and we had uh, the, we we were an afternoon paper, so I had to have it into the paper, typewritten. Went to linotype, uh, cold type, you know, and then I had to uh, get it in by eight o'clock in the morning. But I figured out I, if I got my column done, put it in an envelope, and buy a thirty-five cent special delivery stamp, it would get from Augusta to Athens by seven o'clock the next right? morning. So I couldn't pay for Western Union, or the paper sure wasn't gonna pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> so I started covering the uh, Masters. In that fashion, and I haven't missed a master since 1960. Wow. Amazing, amazing. And across the pond, the Open Championship, how many in a row? I think you missed one. Did you miss the COVID year? But other than that, it's got to yeah, be 40-plus in a row, right? Well, I didn't continue. Uh, my wife traveled with me for years. She doesn't want to go anymore. She's said she's been enough uh, to Europe and then – it's so blessed expensive now. I, yeah. I go as a freelancer. Uh, you know, I might be, get lucky and get a frequent flyer connection. I, I've done that a time or two, but it was just difficult. But the byproduct of all that was I got to meet so many people, and I have French friends. I have uh, English and Scottish friends that uh, whenever I go back, I usually visit with them. But I'm afraid of my, my days at the open are over. What's your favorite course on the open rota or one that you've covered? Well, I love Muirfield. That's Zach Nicholas's favorite course, but St. Andrews. Yeah. You get, St. Andrews is so unique, and uh, I just enjoy it so much. The people, the caddies. If, uh, Herbert Warren Wynn, a great writer for the New Yorker magazine, said to play golf in Scotland and not – Use a caddy is to deny, to deny oneself the wine of the country. Mm-hmm. Great statement. Yeah. And uh, you just, I mean, Bud Wilkinson, uh, I don't know if you ever, y'all have ever researched anything about him, but he stood about 6'2", and he had a nice flowing fluid swing. He was a good athlete. He was uh, All-American under Bernie Bierman at Minnesota. But... He was playing St. Andrews with his good friend Duffy Darty, and there's a play, the backside. Is a, and you've probably played it, I know. Drew. I haven't been over there. Have you been over there? I haven't. Yeah, either. you're no, talking well, to two it's, novices. It's called the loop. You know, three holes are sort of configured where it has a loop effect, and uh, there's a par three there. And Bud walked up on the tee, and those caddies, uh, they don't mince words, uh, and. Uh, Bud says, uh, he looked at the shot and says, give me the four iron. The caddy says, it's a three iron, sir. And the Bud looked at it and said, no, I think I can get there with the four. And the caddy kept on, it's a three iron, sir. So finally, Bud made one final look and said, give me the three iron. I mean, give me the four iron. And the caddy says, you may be getting it from me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to give it to you. 
Go get it yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's brilliant. Did he hit the green? Did he go with the four? Do you know? I don't remember the outcome. I just remember the uh, repartee on the tee with the Amazing. caddy. Those caddies are really something. The first time I played Santa Andrews, I played with a caddy named Sidney Rutherford, who was 82 years old. No way. He had played 18 holes that morning, and he was my caddy in the afternoon, had on a flannel shirt with a tie. <laughs> that's great. That's amazing. Uh, bringing things back to football before we get into our last segment, which is aptly titled Five to Go. What similarities do you see between Coach Dooley and Kirby Smart? Obviously, now you've been around with both of the head coaches that have brought national championships to Georgia, and it seems like their leadership style and their coaching styles somewhat mirror each other in some aspects. Well, first of all, they're very smart. Uh, I tell everybody, Kirby, uh, one of the smartest people I've ever been around, his surname defines him and uh i don't i don't know that uh you can compare errors quite like uh uh, well i just don't know if it was so different in vince's time it was tough to win a championship no question about it Mm -hmm. um but he didn't recruit as dominantly as uh kirby seems to do every year that sort of sets Kirby apart. But Vince had a great team in the, uh, the group he recruited uh, with Herschel. That was his best recruiting years. And then he had those three years, 80, 81, and 2. Those three years, uh, those were pretty dominant. Yeah. I didn't win but one national championship, but if he was in a position, he might have won three mm-hmm. if he could have. Won them all in 82, 81, 2, but we lost 2 and 3. So uh, they're very, very conscious of the uh, fundamentals of football. They both were. Uh, Vince was, and Kirby is, Mm -hmm. uh, to get it in the proper tense. And so they're very similar, and you uh, don't beat yourself. I mean, Vince didn't lose a game against a team he was supposed to win mm-hmm. very often. And uh, they loved the kicking game. Kirby don't talk about it a lot, but he mm-hmm. thinks kicking is. I mean, he knows the value of the kicking game. But uh, it was a little different back then in Vince's time. The game was slower. It's so fast now. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I got... I tell people this, and they just they just shake their heads. <clears throat> Somebody was asking me back during the fall, says, they happened to see a little sheet I have that comes out every week, which Steve Cockwood did for years about uh, what all of our pro players did on Sunday. You'll see that, I'm sure, during the fall. And you see Jordan Davis on special teams. <laughs> yeah. And he's two hundred. I mean, 335 pounds. And then you figure, well, he run, he was clocked, he was timed, running 20.3 miles per hour. Yeah. Just and unbelievable. So there wasn't any athletes like that in Vince's day. No, not in the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's very few today. <laughs> yeah. That is a fact for sure. No, you're right, though. It's, uh, it's remarkable just – it's remarkable what Kirby's been able to build, the sustained success that we started off this conversation with, and how there are a lot of similarities to Coach Dooley. Um, and obviously the impact Coach Dooley had not only at Georgia football, but on the athletic department as a whole as an athletic director. And we obviously miss him, and, and we wish 
their family and Miss Barbara the best. Something I wanted to ask you about, and I'm coming from a total place of ignorance here and you know, have no background on it, but driving into town, going down Prince Avenue, I've noticed that uh, the cancer center at Piedmont Hospital or Ath- Old Athens Regional is named the Lauren Smith Cancer Center. I want to know if that's you, first off, <laughs> and then, two, if you could tell us maybe about how that came to be. Well, it is, uh, it is I, <laughs> uh, but I, I tried to get them not to do that because I, I couldn't give them any money. I said, give it to a family who's had a cancer experience and it's got some money they can help you build this thing. But I sort of lost the battle. My wife told me you're going to make a fool of yourself if you quit deferring, uh, quit saying you don't want it to happen. But, uh, I'm a leukemia survivor, so that's why they had the plan to, uh, the connection for them to to name it for me. I don't know why uh, they didn't find somebody else, but uh, I was appreciative of the honor, and they do such good work. And people, I I, I think about this uh, with hospice care. Uh, There are people out there who really care about other human beings, Mm -hmm. and they do things for them in the cancer center over there. They really make people feel good. They came, they've done fundraising, Athens Regional Foundation, uh, Piedmont Regional Foundation now. They've done things to create uh, uh, living quarters. Family can't afford to be with their loved one. They're, first of all, hopeful for life. And uh, then... They want to be with them as they are convalescing, and they can't afford a hotel bill, so they've got it worked out now to where you pay a minimum, you know, I'm sure just to do the basic utilities and changing of the bed clothes and washing the mm-hmm. sheets and those kinds of elementary things we all do or have done for us at home. So it's just been wonderful, and I'm, I'm overwhelmed that my name is on it, uh, but I certainly don't. Deserve it. I am proud to be a cancer survivor and uh, proud of the things, that are, the advances that are being made in medicine today. And some of the best advances with cancer is for, is with the blood cancers. If you get a blood cancer, you have good opportunity to uh, to survive. Of course, a big thing like it is all other illnesses, the early detection makes a big difference. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I can understand the instinct to to hide from recognition for that kind of thing, but you know that's a that's a great testament to you, and uh, you, you are such a goodwill ambassador for this region. You know, I, I know that that gives comfort to people who are there under vulnerable circumstances. So well, that's a great testament to you and your character. Uh, you mentioned hospice care. Um, timely this week, Jimmy Carter, President Jimmy Carter, just entered hospice care. Do you have any? relationship with him? Any past experiences with President Carter? Well, when he ran for governor, I supported Carl Sanders, his opponent, because Carl was a quarterback at Georgia. Okay. He was a bulldog. He was a bulldog. But I admired President Carter, and I had a couple of uh, trips down. I made a couple of trips down to Plains to hear him teach Sunday school, and he really knew the Bible. Uh, So I always thought perhaps that his good work with uh, with the peace treaty 
uh, when let's see who were the uh, who were the prime ministers uh, Menachem Begin and uh, Anwar Sadat uh, when they yeah when they good was, memory yeah, yeah, yeah I, that's exactly that, what I was about yeah, to say absolutely it's <laughs> on the tip of my tongue <laughs> when they got together and had the Middle East peace accords I just wondered if his knowledge of the Bible helped him any yeah as he was. Uh, trying to negotiate uh, with those two guys. That was a marvelous thing. He won the Nobel Peace Prize, didn't he, for that? Absolutely. And yes, I've, I, I've been around President Carter a little bit, but I didn't have a uh, round of golf with him or anything yeah. like that. But I've read all of his books. He's a fine writer, very fine writer. You know, he has excellent taste in women, too. And let me tell you the story <laughs> behind this. This is um, my one Jimmy Carter story. I was at a a fundraiser for Jason when he was running for governor. And all my Republican friends will be upset to hear that I was there. I, I tried to hide from cameras, you know, so I yes, be, of course. Of course, now I'm talking about it. But at the very, we were trying to sneak out early. We want to go to dinner, my wife and I. My wife's name is Kyle. And we're sneaking out. We're, we're to the end of the driveway of this big fancy house in Buckhead. And then Hail to the Chief starts playing over the loudspeakers in the garden. And sure enough, Jimmy Carter comes out, wow. surrounded by Secret Service. And the first person he sees is my wife. And I don't know if he thought that it was my wife's house or what. You know, we weren't supposed to be at this at this part in the reception line. And she goes, you know, President Carter, hi, I'm Kyle Skates. He goes, oh, yes, you are very pretty. And then just, like, <laughs> just keeps walking on. And, you know, she's swooning over there. And it's been her uh, – she's trying to collect all the former presidents. Yes. That's the only one she has now. But You know, he was a very, uh, very passionate fly fisherman. And uh, he fished up in North Georgia. He had a home up there. And uh, I've seen some of the... There's a guy that fished with him, and I should remember his name, but I'm, I'm having problems. But he had a... He, he would build... You could build your own reel, mm-hmm. bamboo reel. He had bamboo imported from China, the best uh, bamboo. The visiting President Carter had one of, one of those. He went through the class like yeah. everybody else to build your own reel. Rods. Yeah, yeah, fly rod. rod. That's a great story about President Carter. I got one story like that about Coach Dooley. It's one of my favorites, and then we'll get into five to go. We were down at the Desire Cup, Danny Warfel's event around Georgia, Florida weekend. They raise a ton of money for Desire Street Ministries. It's Georgia versus Florida Ryder Cup-style golf tournament, and there's a big gala on Thursday night. Coach Spurrier shows up. Tim Tebow shows up. Coach Dooley's there. A bunch of Georgia guys are there. And Laura Rutledge, who's on ESPN now, she's on SEC Nation. She does NFL Live. She is the MC of the gala, um, and she's dressed up mighty nice, you know, black gown dress. And Coach Dooley and Coach Spurrier are sitting there with her as she's kind of starting this fireside chat. And Coach Dooley's sitting there in her chair, his chair, and she's sitting there in the middle, and she asks Coach Dooley this long-winded question to get started. And she's got these huge diamond earrings on, and she asks – Coach Dooley, this long-winded question, and in response to the question, Coach Dooley looks at her and goes, "Those earrings are beautiful." <laughs> he was just complete, and Barbara was sitting right there. I mean, that was hilarious. He didn't, he didn't hear the question one bit. Word you said was but yes, yeah, yes. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> All right, Lauren, this has been uh, an absolute blast. We could talk to you all day long. We have a parting segment called Five to Go. We're going to ask you five questions to get to know you a little bit 
better, and then we'll let you get out of here. The <laughs> first right. question I have for you, we talked a lot about golf in this interview. Who's your dream golf foursome? Well, I guess so you can't beat, and yeah. I'm fortunate to play it, played uh, Cypress Point, Pebble Bridge. Okay. Uh, who would you play with? Who would, be, who would your foursome be at one of those courses if you could pick any three guys any or girls? Guys. Just exclude us. We yes. Know, <laughs> yes, yes. We know that. Well, I, I wouldn't exclude Drew. I want to win. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Cosign. <laughs> it's hard to win. In the games I play, it's hard to win as a scratch golfer. I'll say that. You we can the, figure something out. You want the 14, <laughs> that's me. You can shoot a 73 Absolutely. on any given day. I don't know. I probably would like to play with some uh, renowned folks. Uh, I don't know. I'd probably like to play with uh, Billy Graham. Maybe he'd be one. Thought he was a great ambassador and an honest man. Uh, maybe uh, I wouldn't want to play with Donald Trump because <laughs> he cheats. That's what I've heard. He's a big time cheater. <laughs> McCarter would be a good yeah. example. Yeah. I don't think he played golf. No. But I'd, I'd fly fish with him and. Uh, I don't know, Vern like There maybe. you go. Vern's a good guy. <laughs> Vern, we like Vern. Would be, we'd be laughing the whole round because uh, Vern's such a great raconteur. So what is that? That's two. I got to have go. one more. Throw Coach McGill in there. Did he play golf? He didn't play golf. Uh, but uh, Arnold Palmer. Oh, I'd like to play with Arnold. That'd be good. Arnold, uh, I got to know Arnold. A funny, not funny, but a great story. I called his man this Friday, uh, Doc. Uh, uh, was his longtime press aide. Told him I was going to be in in uh, Orlando, and could I record my weekly radio show with him? He said, "Well, how long does it take?" I said, "Well, it's an hour show, but I can do it in thirty minutes." He said, "Oh no, that, that, that's too long. Say fifteen minutes, ten or fifteen minutes." And I said, "Well, I'll take what I can get." But I knew if I went in his office and started. Recording him, he would not run me out. Yeah. I stayed for an hour and a half. That's awesome. <laughs> One of the questions I wanted to ask him, did he have any idea how many times he'd signed his name? And this was several years ago, so he said uh, at the time his secretary had just retired in the last year, but she had estimated when she retired. Now, this doesn't count events and count uh, uh, you know, FBOs at an airport somewhere, but the people who requested his autograph, he had signed his name four million times. Holy cow. Yeah. That's great. And always very well written, too. Yes. That was a key for Honor Palmer. Yeah, awesome. Master of branding. Yes. And licensing. <laughs> no doubt. IMG was, was him. What's the next five-to-go question for Lauren here? All right, last, What what's your favorite, your last meal, what restaurant are you going to? And it can't be something your wife makes. We don't want to hear about the chicken casserole from the Let the Big Dog Eat cookbook. We we want to hear like a good Where's restaurant. that reservation going to be? Well, in recent weeks, I had a steak at uh, Slater's in yeah. Athens and Five Points, the best steak I've ever eaten in Athens. Tonight, so, that's what we're going to do. Yeah, that could be a ringing endorsement for a new advertiser <laughs> here on Punt and the Poor Man. I, love I was really thinking he was going to say like, you know, Delmonico's or something, but now. Nothing like a good steak. The best red wine. Speaking our language. I love that. What's your favorite SEC road trip? 
Oh, either or Vandy or Kentucky, but Kentucky has lost its luster now that uh, we play so deep in the season. Mm-hmm. We don't have an opportunity to experience the Keeneland race course at full peak. Uh, but I'd probably say, probably say Vandy. I'm going to push on that. What do you like to do? I don't like that road trip. I try to every year. What What do you do? What makes it special for you? Well, first of all, it's easy drive uh, up 75. Then you can. And then go left in yeah. Chattanooga. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you can take friends with you. I like that. And uh, I like going backstage at the Grand Ole Opry. Okay. Uh, that's really a wonderful experience. And my good friend Bill Anderson has been on the Opry ever since he graduated from Georgia. Whispering Bill. And uh, so I, I like that. And I like the fact that uh, if you can play it at noon, you got a night. Yeah. Two, you got two nights yeah. of doing whatever you want to do. And Nashville's a great town. It's become a great uh, big league town, you know. They got Absolutely. The, and I don't know if you've seen the plans for the new stadium, but yeah. that's going to that's gonna be mighty tempting for an SEC championship. No stadium. question and about it. Contractually, I have to bring up any mention of Vanderbilt, Drew Butler's game-saving <laughs> tackle in Nashville. The million dollar tackle. The two million dollar tackle. What, what year? What year that was, was that? Two thousand eleven. Dean Leggy dubbed it the two million dollar tackle because Coach Rick's buyout that year was two million dollars. We had started the season zero and two. We had lost to Boise State in the Georgia Dome and then South Carolina at home, and then we won ten games in a row and won the SEC East and lost to LSU in the SEC championship game. But that was the game where James Franklin and Todd Grantham almost got into a fist fight at midfield. Jordan Rogers from The Bachelor, now on SEC Network, was the quarterback. Um, yeah, block punt. Yeah. And tackle. tackle. You wouldn't have had to tackle if you just kicked it away from him. <laughs> yeah, if I would have just kicked it away. Absolutely. No I'm going to have to remember that this fall. I'd forgotten that. There you go. There you go. All right, last question, Lauren, then we'll get you out of here. What's the one app on your iPhone you can't live without? You're always on that iPhone. You text really well, too. Three people have called while we're here. Well, I'm not really good with uh, technology, so I don't know what I – I don't know the apps on there. I can't do Uber. I know that. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm a loser when it comes to technology. <laughs> you do a pretty good job. You got <laughs> I can here. type, and that's about it. Was that four, five? I don't know. That, well, no, one more for we'll good measure? One more. Um, there's that restaurant. Oh, I would – Band Musical Act. You can get to see one band – Backstage passes and see somebody, and it can't be somebody you know. We again, Bill Anderson at the <laughs> Ryan's probably pretty cool, but uh, it, you know, past or present. Well, I don't know. I would have probably years ago chosen somebody with the Grand Ole Opry. I, I'm not into country music to where I have to have it playing all day, but I do enjoy it. I grew up on a farm in Middle Georgia listening to Eddie Arnold, so uh, he had a great voice and just a great talent. But I probably would have chosen somebody, uh, you know, maybe the Sons of the Pioneers. That might have been a that might have been a band I'd like to hear. I oh, I had a wonderful experience. I was helping Doug Sanders with his uh, charity golf outing in Houston at one time, and he got Willie Nelson to come and play to the staff, just the volunteer wow. workers. Wow. It wasn't a concert per se, but I learned something. Those guys enjoy music so much. If they do a concert, they're going to give you the full yeah. throw. Whatever yeah. that they got in their repertoire, they're going to give you. They ain't going to 
give you, you know, an hors d'oeuvre and leave. Yeah. So I sat uh, maybe first down and a half on a uh, trunk uh, while Willie's performing, and I sat there all night listening to Willie Nelson. That's <laughs> uh, it's awesome. You were just listening. Nothing else was happening <laughs> no, with you sitting I, I on the truck with I Willie. Wasn't, uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't have anything between my <laughs> fingers. <laughs> that, that doesn't mean much now. There's no. all kinds of all kinds of ways anyway absolutely well lauren this has been an absolute treat thank you so much for your time um what a great way to kick off this interview series punt and the poor man with none other than lauren smith an absolute university of georgia legend so thank you so much i know our audience will very much appreciate this and uh, appreciate your time thank you all right go dogs so fun to talk to lauren uh, i think you said it was like an oral history lesson as i was walking him up here we're at the grady school of journalism i walked him up a shitload of stairs. I kind of felt bad. It's pretty hot outside today. Yeah. Lauren is, I think, 83 years old now. Um, people recognize him in the hallways. I know that voice. Hey, that's Lauren Smith. I mean, these are students at UGA right now who know who Lauren is. It was cool uh, to kind of see him be recognized just going about his day. I um, I mean, yeah, it, it was awesome stuff. And he is such a, a core part of the UGA culture. Yeah. Right? I remember... Um, in high school, I was driving my wife around one Saturday. She's, she wasn't my wife then. She's my, she was my girlfriend then. I don't know where we were going, but we had on a Georgia football broadcast and I didn't grow up a Georgia fan. She didn't either, but I was like, you have to listen to this. You know, there's this guy with this really gravelly voice, no nonsense. And then there's this other guy on the sideline. He's a little more flighty and, uh, eccentric talking about different things and just their back and forth is so good. The juxtaposition, and, oh my gosh. phenomenal, and, all time. Uh, you know, he, he, it's just he has done so many things and finds so many things interesting. And, you know, there could be a crucial point in the game where he's thinking about something totally different than everybody <laughs> else. And uh, anyway, it was great to see some of that come out. His tonight. story about sitting on the back of his tailgate listening to a private Willie Nelson concert was amazing. We could have talked to him forever. As soon as we got done, we went outside, and Charles Dean, the dean of the journalism school here at the University of Georgia, came to say hello to Lauren. He was like, Lauren, did you tell him about when you got to interview Ty Cobb? We were like, what? I mean, you and I thought about how many things we missed, even with all these notes. And Charles Dean said, this is literally the only guy. You're talking about the dean of a journalism school saying, this is the only person I know who has interviewed somebody who was born in the 1800s, Ty Cobb, born in the 1900s, countless people, and born in the 2000s, the current players at the University of Georgia. So remarkable career that he's had. And, man, he's still going as strong as ever. Gosh, you know, the dean of the Grady School of Journalism – Giving us praise for our first show. Hey, gosh, can you say Peabody? Yeah. Can you hear it? I can. I, 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 they make them right here. Yeah, they do. We yeah. should get in line for a Peabody. We'll stand in line. We'll see if they let That's us. That's right. Absolutely. Move over, Tina Fey. True Butler is here. <laughs> and Liam Brantley, producer and, and of the year. Liam. Liam Brantley. That was a blast, though. Big thanks to Lauren for spending some time with us. Maybe we'll have him on again in the future. But we're off to a fast start. Punt and the poor man. Ryan, grade me. How was it? What'd you think? Oh, I mean, you know, it was a solid C. Okay. C plus. C's get degrees. Yeah. We'll take that. <laughs> thank you very much. And thank you for tuning in to Punt and the Poor Man. We'll talk to you next week. See you.
Make the most out of your daily commute or next road trip in a new Audi from Audi Atlanta. And what better way to do it than behind the wheel of a stylish Audi A5 Sportback. Hey, it's Finn, along with my friends at Audi Atlanta, here to introduce this city to the Audi A5 Sportback. With a versatile and athletic design, the beauty lies within. Combining the sleekness of a coupe with the practicality of a four-door hatchback. And right now, you can lease the Audi A5 Sportback for $537 per month. Find yours at AudiAtlanta.com. And you the Jim Ellis Expressway to start or complete your entire purchase online or shop in person on Peachtree Boulevard just inside the perimeter. Experience the thrill of driving like never before at Audi Atlanta. Offer applies to a 36-month lease, 2024 Audi A5 Sportback 40, 537 per month, 10,000 miles per year with 4731 due at signing. Example stock number A25954 MSRP 49,905 excludes tax, tag, and title fees. Offer expires 531.24 with approved credit. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. <sighs> or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands. An easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at Camp Margaritaville Lanier Islands.com. 